Hey everybody, this is Patty. Welcome to the Witching Hour. I have a great guest for you today, the one and only Becky Ann Galantine. Yes, paranormal investigator and licensed embalmer. But before I bring on Becky Ann, where's Patty? Because you know that if I don't do this segment, I have no idea where I am. That's kind of my normal. I wake up going, where am I? Um, so if you are tuning into this the first week we first drop which is monday october 16th we are halfway through the month we are almost to halloween yes so i am home actually i'm home for the week up until this weekend i just had a birthday this past weekend friday the 13th perfect i'm sure it was fabulous we celebrated we had a babylon vampire salon here in la part celebrating my birthday but now we move on Tuesday, if you are in town or not in town, because it's virtual, I am teaching a divination class at my school, University Magicus Divination, like dowsing rods, pendulums, tarot cards, candle gazing, ways of telling the future with divination. So if it's something you know or you've been curious about, I actually talk about what kind of people are good for doing tarot, what kind of people is more visual or more audio or more emotionally based, what divination works best for you. So if you're interested, go to universitymagicus.com or magicu.org. Wednesday, of course, which is Movie Coven, um, Heather and Jason and Courtney and Richard Lael and I talk about witches in movies. And we are into spooky season, so we're doing all sorts of really hand-picked ones for Halloween Samhain spooky season. Um, and of course, while you're doing that, you need merch. So you can go to mysterycontrol.com and get Scared and Alone merch. You could get Witch's Movie Coven merch. You, of course, can get Patty's Power Panties because in my pagan calendar, New Year's starts after Halloween. So everybody needs new underwear for the new year, which is two weeks from now. So order them now. Um, and 25% off if you do code Patty. And that's across the board. That is also on Witch's Movie Coven. That is on my Spellcaster line of shirts and hoodies. And Witch's Movie Coven and Bro Witch and Scared and Alone. I could dress you from head to toe, literally undergarments and outer garments with magic because we want magic everywhere. So that's enough for the commercial. Um, that's what this week is. This weekend, please join me in Texas if you dare. It is a Haliflix, Haliflix, which is part of Paraflix, the Ghost Hunter Girls, which is Natalie and Haley and Alicia and Sarah and Christy and myself. Yes, a girls ghost hunter team and our friend David Taylor, because we need a token male, are going to be at the most haunted location in Texas. Haunted Hill House. And you guys, we have a few tickets left. So join us. It is October 21st. Um, it's online. Find all my stuff you could find off my website or off my social media or Natalie's social media. It is a Paraflix Haloflix event. So join us for that. And then the next week, Halloween week, I am going to be, of course, be in New Orleans at the Endless Night Vampire Ball, which is October 28th and 29th. We actually have about four days of festivities that whole Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So join us in New Orleans. Um, I'm actually going to be home for Halloween Day itself so I could celebrate with my neighborhood kitties because we do something called Halloween. And then I'm off to mid-Michigan, mid-Michigan Paracon, um, November 4th and 5th or 2nd through 5th. Um, 
and it's a really good one. Lots of great people. It's my first year at this particular Paracon and I can't wait. So, and then I'm off to Tasmania and you can't go with me because it's really far. And then I'm back, back to Dallas and I'm going to be back at Miracles of Joy. Um, but I will tell you about that in weeks to come. You can find it all at pattynegri.com or my social media, but pattynegri.com, you can get to my legitimate Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. And for those of you who always say, I would like a reading with you, and you could do that online, but I am again doing free readings on TikTok because that's what the cool kids do, I guess. So make sure if you're not a TikTok person, find me on TikTok, the real one. That is the only place as of yet I'm not verified. So there is 20 Patty Negris. I'm the real one that does the lives. Um, so other than that, that's where I am. That was long and rambly and happy hollows. Bye. Hey everybody, guess what time it is? Yep, it is time for the Sleepy Willow Report. One day she's going to learn to open her eyes and look at the camera, but we can't rush these things, right, princess? But, oh, she's doing it. She's doing it. She's probably in a sleep trance. But I want you, while we are looking at this pretty little girl, she's loving Halloween. It's fall. It's cooling off in the backyard a little bit. The play dates are actually getting much more active. In the heat of summer, they slow down a tiny bit. The dogs would still play and romp a little, but now they're running crazy because it's the season. But I want you to look at this nose. Look at this pretty, pretty nose. The dog fact which we're going to do now, is do you know that your dog's nose is as individual as your fingerprint? You know, we go fingerprint when you get in trouble or whatever that is. A dog's nose is one of a kind and it's its own unique fingerprint. I don't know if it's paw prints are unique. It doesn't have the same things. It's its nose. So go look at your dog's nose. There's no other dog that has that exact print. And the other thing about noses, since this is Doggy Nose Day, is did you know that dogs can sense heat and thermal radiation? So I think that's one reason, besides that they can see through the veil, that they can tell if there's a spirit around. And another thing that they could do that's not even all paranormal and spirity is since they can sense heat and radiation, that's why even blind dogs can still hunt. All those wild dogs who still hunt because they could smell the heat and the radiation. So that's pretty good. And the last fact of the nose fact of dog days is how good they can smell. I mean, not smell, because she always smells good because she gets lots of little baths. But I mean, what they can smell. Do you know that a dog's nose has 300 million receptors in it? 300 million. A human nose, we only have 5 million. They have 300 million. That is why she could smell a hamburger a mile and a half away being barbecued. Right, Willow? Yes. That is why these are superior animals indeed. Special thumbprint on their nose, special heat sensors, and look at the beauty in that nose. Anyway, that's it. That's the Willow Report. Go check out your pup's nose. Bye. Hey, everybody. Okay, for this week's magic lesson, we're going to go back to the wheel of the year because it's Halloween. Yes. And Halloween, actually, in my pagan pagan tradition, is called Samhain. It is the New Year's. It is the day we dearly do celebrate the dead. As most of you know, that is the day 
all the day that the veil is thinnest in all the year. That is actually why in tradition, typical tradition, we dress up and we put on costumes and funny masks and we put lanterns outside, pumpkins outside in this country. They started in Europe. They used turnips because they didn't have pumpkins, but and light them up with candles to scare away the dark spirits because you could see everything on Halloween or Samhain. Um, in my more, my religious, my pagan belief system, it really is the time to celebrate the dead when the veil is thin. So this is a time as well as dressing up and putting on funny costumes and lighting things up and giving gifts. Again, all relates to it. Celebrate your ancestors. This is the time to put out a picture of grandma or grandpa, maybe light a candle, think about them. Think about family stories. If you have a family story, tell the time that you went camping with the aunts and uncles, because that's how we remember them. It's actually nice to call out their names. I am celebrating my grandpa, Vitali Negri. I am celebrating my mom, Dorothy Negri, and bring them in. If you could have a fire or even just a candle, do it. Do it because it's a time to celebrate our ancestors. The other thing to do on Halloween Eve, it's called beating the bounds. What's that? That is actually, it's claiming your home as your own. Get your broom and it doesn't have to be a witch's broom. It could be any broom. And I want you to hold it by the handle, but it's not a broom, it's a pen, but say it's with the, the bristles up and the thing down. Walk by your front door or your room door. If you just share a room, you have a room or your apartment door and claim it. Hit the room on the ground going, I claim this space as my own. I claim this apartment as my own. I claim this house as my own. I claim this land as my own. You hit it with a, with a butt of your broom. It reverberates through the land below. It reverberates into the house. You are claiming that as your own. Even if you've lived in your house for years, it's really good to do every year at Samhain. It's called beating the bounds. Actually do it anytime that you move and you have a new house. You want to claim it and really make it your own. But try to remember to do it on Halloween Eve. Remember, it's magic out there. The spirits, it's a really good time if you are into communicating with spirits, mediumship, even spirit boards. Just make sure that you take it seriously. You are not disrespectful and you set up your wards and protectors, whatever they are. Um, work within your belief system, work within elements, call in your dragons. Just make sure you know who you're going to call if something gets out of hand so it doesn't get out of hand. But celebrate the dead because that's what this season is all about. And then it's a new year. So that's the magic for today. Beat the bounds, put up a picture of grandma and eat some candy. I have some spooky fun magic for you today. I have the one and only Becky Ann Galantine. She is paranormal investigator, licensed embalmer, and so much more. I can't wait. I'm excited to get to know you. Welcome, Becky Ann. Thank you so much for having me, Patty. Um, I hear we've cro we've crossed paths a few times. I didn't even know. I just got back from Mass Paracon, but last year we were there together, but again, together separately, passing each other's cross. <laughs> so um, for people who don't know yet, how did you work into this paranormal world of ours? So my first experience that I had was when I was studying science. So I was studying laboratory science and I experienced something I couldn't explain in a graveyard of all places. I know some people are, you know, a little apprehensive about calling a graveyard haunted. And after that, I kind of just became 
obsessed with the idea of replicating that and I was skipping class and showing up late the next morning and you know staying out late always tired and I realized this institution is not going to provide me what I need to know about this and through my journey I've kind of learned that there's beauty in the inability to replicate these experiences I guess and the idea of something being meant for you in that moment kind of set place where it's like I'm not meant to replicate this so I did have an experience a long time ago and I kind of told myself no that's not what it was and as I grew I kind of accepted that was paranormal and it was meant for me to see, but I'm meant to see it in different ways as I go along this journey. So that's how I ended up being interested in it. However, it really kind of changed and became my entire life while I was working as an embalmer because on my two days off, I would just explore haunted locations. I was working in the the peak of COVID. So I have two days off and I just couldn't make friends because we were in a lockdown. So I just started exploring these like beautiful historic locations in New England and it changed my life. Wow, that's amazing. Um, And so how did the embalmer part come about? That's so um, several years ago, I had lost a friend and it kind of changed the trajectory of my life in more ways than I expected it to at that point. I, at that time, I was like, dead is dead. Nobody comes back from that. And I didn't know what to explore at that point. Uh, I saw these people in this scene that I was in, this music scene, as vibrant people that I thought could live forever. They felt immortal to me. And when someone I was very close to who always believed in me passed away, I said, I need this death to mean something to me. I need to turn this. And grief does make you feel like you need to make it matter. And I took that grief and pain and put it into studying. I had a 4.0 in school and I always just thought like in the back of my mind, I'm doing this for her. I'm doing this for Franny. And at at a certain point, that's all I was thinking. That was the capacity of it. I saw a medium. I had never seen a medium before. I didn't know if I even believed in that. And I sat down with this woman in Salem actually. And she looked at me and she said, there's someone with you with blue hair. And I just was like, there's no way you would guess that. Any person that tells me now at this point, like, you know, there's mediums that don't know what they're... Ever since that moment, I was like, no, you would not just look at me and say, you have someone who passed away recently with blue hair. And it just gave me chills. And she said, you know, you're helping people like her. And it was just so... There was no way she could have known. I didn't have a platform at that point. So it it kind of created this cohesive relationship between the afterlife and end of life care that has made me who I am. That's pretty amazing. Um, and yes, you, it's, I love, so have you gone more into that like mediumship world that you accepted it as part of who you are, obviously does it, how does it conflict with your science that I cannot replicate this, which is science as we know, does, does that crash or does that inspire? I think at some point it it has created challenges because I was in a field that teaches you that death is an irreversible cessation of life. That is the exact definition. And I just believe that. But there were 
too many kernels being planted in my life. And I don't know if that's everyone's path, but it's certainly mine. While I was sitting in class, I had my professor tell me a ghost story and everyone kind of quietly turns around and they're like, you heard that. She said that. Do you believe it? And I was like, huh, what motivation does a mortuary school professor have to tell us this? So it eventually became a point where I was telling ghost stories online, but I wasn't saying I believed them. I was just saying alleged. It is said that. And one day I was like, what do I have to lose? And now with the platform that I do and the things that I talk about, with the combination of grief and, and, and ghosts and all those those things coming together, I do have some people that will push back and it will cause me trouble re-entering the field if I do want to work as a mortician because they truly believe that it's a liability and it could complicate grief. So that's the major challenge is people think that believing in the afterlife can always complicate grief. That's so, it's interesting because if you look, take traditional religion, everybody has some form of afterlife, whether you're going pearly gates or this or reincarnated. So it's interesting that that's all okay, except for the, maybe this paranormal ghosty side of things. So. Yep. Cool. And it, it opens you up to lawsuits because the government gets involved at some point. So before we had these funeral directors associations telling us what to do, people were able to keep bodies at home for as long as they needed to, you know, grieve this person and say, we want to keep you with us. And now it's like, you have 24 hours or 48 hours to cremate, refrigerate. There are so many restrictions. And one of them would be if I were to own a funeral home and say, I want to bring in a medium to talk with our people, our guests, that puts you open for lawsuits. That's wild. Mm -hmm. I had a yeah, one of my best mediums, I'm a medium, one of my best mediumship mm -hmm. sessions was with a mortician who also is extraordinarily gifted. And I was called in by a woman who lost her son and her husband within the same week and was, wow. the grief was unbearable to her. And what the three of us did with, we finished each other's sentences, we and it was probably the best experience one could have for a woman who just lost her husband and her son so that it's kind of sad that it's like that because literally i've gotten things like iphone codes from the deceased so the wife could get you know the photos off stuff like that that so hopefully that changes or yeah that that's why i continue with my platform i do a lecture it is called grief and ghost hunting and i explore those and i try to bring back historical accounts of grief and things people have gone through and i talk about what we're doing to spirits today when we say you know you're gonna die alone at a nursing home by yourself and a stranger's gonna come and get you and they're gonna take you away and i'm gonna id your body not in person but with a photo and you're sanitized you're treated like a biohazard and how that's going to affect which of the people from our our life linger and look out for us because we've told them they're essentially to be discarded wow that's amazing so you um have you had in going into the embalming field, working within a mortuary, have you had paranormal experiences? I know you started talking about the iffiness of graveyards haunted, not haunted, the dead is there. What about the mortuary itself? 
I would say there have been times where you'll feel the presence of the person when you're transferring them into your care in their home where they recently passed and all of their things and their family are there and it almost feels as though they could be watching that. But I haven't found this idea of, oh, you know, you're working with the deceased. I think they understand you as a function. You're almost a tool. Like you are washing them and that that's it. It's a relationship to make sure that their remains are respected. But at the same time, I haven't found anything of that nature. I have found, I would say... <laughs> maybe non-human entities may linger at funeral homes born from grief or frustration from people working in them. And at my last funeral home that I worked at, you know, I had someone say, oh, there's this going on back here. I just tell it to get off me when it gets too close. And I'm thinking, that's that's not a person. That's not a human spirit. That's That's something clicking onto you and sticking spiritual muck of some sort. Right, right. Which it could be, like you said, created from grief, I, like a tulpa, egregore, servitor, whatever that is, self-created mm -hmm. um, or an elemental or lots of things in my belief system. But that's a, mm -hmm. that's a trip. That's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So getting into your paranormal world, I see you, you've done all sorts of amazing investigations. I have to ask you about one specifically because I'm obsessed with it and I don't know why I'm obsessed with it. Um, and I haven't been there and I don't know why I haven't been there. And it's, it's Gettysburg. Uh, for some reason, I'm not that into war and I'm not overly into history, but I am obsessed with Gettysburg. So whether it's a past life thing. So what was your experience there? You know, what's interesting out of all the places I've been to, I have been the least connected to Gettysburg and I'm from Pennsylvania. I was born and raised there. My parents tried to get me to go there. They're like, you love the paranormal. You love these places. They go on little trips there every couple of you know, years. And they've always tried to get me to go. And I love history. I love the antiquing. And when I went to Gettysburg the first time, I'm like, I don't quite get it. And maybe that apprehension was because I wasn't ready to understand what was going on. I returned again. I, stay, I stayed at the Farnsworth house. And as I start to stay in these places, and, I, you know, you're you're given a certain itinerary or like rubric when it comes to studying war when you're growing up, you know, when you're you're in grade school and they're telling you how to how to perceive it. You're not told put yourself in the shoes of what it would be like to be on the cusp of your life and being ready to start your life and imagining what you're going to be and what career you're going to take on. But instead you're sent to fight this war that you don't quite understand. And then it started to click for me. So mm. it, it, it is an overwhelming sense of sadness, but it takes a, a certain level of empathy, not just looking from the outside in, but truly trying to understand any side of the war, right or wrong, or, you know, there's this self-imposed sense of, I need to be here. And then you start looking at places like the orphanage. Those were children. Those were children, no matter what, like through and through. So this upcoming trip that I'm going to be taking to Gettysburg is going to be more immersed than I've ever really spent. It's going to be the most time I've spent there, but I am trying to understand it. But I would say Gettysburg is like a, you know, front to back dictionary. It's, you know, six inches thick and you have to start <laughs> pulling up and, and, and truly learning it. 
I think if you're just in there for a vacation on a surface level, you're not going to understand. And when I was at the Farnsworth house, I did find, you know, we were having these experiences and there's people who have studied it at length. You know, we have friends that wrote books on it and it, it was just kind of, you know, I just imagine them going up the steps and, and really trying to understand what they were feeling, knowing with the bodies piling outside that they would be next. And maybe I'll never be able to understand that and truly connect with those spirits on that way, because I don't think it's, it's fathomable. You can dress up, you can reenact. It's unimaginable what those people experience. Right. I, I get it. That's why I'm like, why my obsession? So thank you for yeah. that. Well, it'll be interesting when you go and see where you the deep dive um what is your most um since it is it's october it is spooky season the veil is thin is what i believe so there's going to be more activity noticeable to people around um what has been your most have you had a most memorable ex experience of the paranormal good or bad or unexplainable i think every facet of my experiences has a reason, but I will, because it is October, I'll tell you what I would consider what I thought was the, the worst one, but I guess the most misunderstood one is what I like to say now. When I moved into my first apartment with my boyfriend at the time, 10 years ago, I was living in this apartment. It sat on land that used to be a farm but I don't think it had any connection to what happened. And we had some friends over late at night and I had gone to bed a little bit earlier. And then my boyfriend came to bed and the other two people had been staying out a little bit later. So that's why it didn't immediately alarm me. And I was dead asleep and my bedroom door slammed open, like with full force. And I look and I see a full figure and I was frozen in fear and I saw the whites of eyes but I could not make out anything else wow. and I had sleep paralysis but I could move my mouth so it almost felt like a dream and I remember thinking in that moment I'm going to die like this is it like this is how I die I'm going to get stabbed and I know that's horrific because now I don't think of it that way but I was like wake up wake up wake up like saying it through my teeth I don't know if it was audible or not and as soon as I it it backed out of the door and I heard my roommate's door open. And I said, oh no, I've gotten it all wrong. My roommate came in my room and he didn't want to wake us up. So he backed out. And there was this awful smell like mothballs, the worst, most disgusting smell. It was a distinct like mothball smell, like, like sour. And I checked my phone and it said 4.15 in the morning. And I was like, that's too late for like bar hours. What was he doing? And the next morning I woke my boyfriend up and I said, can you please ask Rich why he was in our room last night? And he was like, Rich didn't come in our room. I don't know why you're thinking that, Becky. And I was like, something happened. So I went to work as usual and you would think, okay, maybe I had a sleep paralysis experience or there was an actual person in the home. And I get a call around 10 a.m. And they said, Becky, we're trying to figure out what was in the house last night. And so Rich rode his bike up to my job and he's like, we need to talk about this right now. And I said, okay, what happened to you? He said, whatever that was, came in his room, touched his leg, and then just went down the stairs, waving its arms, just kind of like wiggly waving its arms backwards down the stairs, but never left the front or back door, which were both locked. So 
we don't know where it went. And I said, what time was it then? And at, in unison, we go 4.15 in the morning. And I became consumed with this idea that we had a house intruder. We need to call the police. And we're like, let's not. Like, we don't know. We don't have proof. Like, what's the point of calling the police at this point? I was obsessed, like, looking on the porch for this person that I would think I would identify. And one day it just clicked. And I said to Rich, that wasn't a person, was it? And he was like, no. Uh, and, And I remember a few nights that I was like, kind of obsessed with the idea and trying to figure out what it was. And then I was like, okay, that was that was some sort of shadow entity. It didn't mean to harm me. That's how he was saying hello. And he scared me. And he scared my roommate. And recently, now it's been 10 years, I told Rich, you know, I've started to talk about the story as a paranormal experience, rather than a a home intruder, because that is what it was. And we can finally accept that and not gaslight ourselves into not believing what happens. And he said, you know, it we hadn't spoken a few years, he said, I saw it a few more times after that. And that was when it was like, what? What was that? What was it trying to say? We never saw it again. And I know there's someone living in there now. And I'm like, hmm, wonder if that ever comes in. Or was it something with Rich that had been following him, you know? But that that was pretty profound. Interesting. And you really were convinced it was a, a real person when they were first there. Like, I'm going to get stabbed. Wow. Yeah. Well, it, and I was just like, why can't I focus on a distinct, like, why can't I make out what they're wearing, any features on this person. And now I know why. And and Rich said the same thing. He was like, he smelled like vomit. And at first I was like, getting out from the bar. No, nobody's getting out of the bar at four in the morning. Small town, by the way. So this town has maybe thousand people that live there. So it's not like a busy city where things like this go on. And again, the doors were locked and he was like, I even went in the basement because there was like a strange like hole that was covered with a tire in the basement. And he was like, I thought maybe it came from the hole in the basement. I'm like, we're not going to explore these ideas. So (laughs) now that I'm more experienced, I'm like, I wish I would have gone back and just tried to replicate that and interact with whatever was happening. Right. That's what I always do. Just talk to them. Either tell them to leave or if it's not that scary or scary, but not dangerous talk. Yep. So um, speaking of things and in the home, I hear you've been bringing things home lately. What is You know, it, it was not intentional and I'm sure you can relate to this, but you get to a certain point where you're doing investigations, going to haunted places and working in this field and people just start giving you things. Like you don't ask for them. You're not soliciting to to see these objects. And it just a few months ago, this like floodgate opened up where people started giving me these objects that are seemingly regular objects, but they end up having these really strange stories. And I collect some things like I do collect talking boards I have for 10 years. Um, I have a lot of strong opinions about those, but I never really thought about haunted objects or like the things that would have their own stories. And when I travel, I try to bring home an antique versus a souvenir because I don't, I'm not really like, I'm an old soul. I grew up in an antique store. My parents ran the antique store while we lived upstairs. So I'd rather take home something special that's just for me that I'm meant to have. And it feels like it fits into a puzzle. So we were traveling in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was scouring social media for like Facebook marketplace. I was scouring for something to bring home. And I came across this morning lithograph 
from the 1800s with a photograph of these two twins and a photograph of two gentlemen. And I messaged the seller and I was like, hey, I'm interested in buying this. And she said, someone's already claimed it. And I was like, of course, I find the perfect thing and someone's getting it. And I didn't want to tell my partner, hey, it's four hours away. We're going to have to drive four hours to get this stuff. So the next morning she messages me and she said, you know what? If you want it, you can have it. You don't have to pay. And I was like, for free? She didn't know who I was. She's like, you can have it. And she's like, I'll even drive two hours to give it to you. And I was like, so you're going to drive two hours and give me these for free. That is so incredibly kind. It wasn't until we were like laying in bed, like almost asleep. And I said, something's not right. Like, you don't just, you know, what if there's a reason she's giving them to us? And we met her in Anderson, South Carolina. She gives us them with a book from the 50s on demonology and witchcraft. And I was like, there couldn't be any more like signs falling into place <laughs> that there's something going on here. So the next day I'm at the hotel, I start researching the objects. I go on this rabbit hole by the name of the road. I'm like, I bet the name of the road the house they came from was on is the actually the last name of the original owners of the house, which is probably their name. So I follow this rabbit hole. I find this family that has had this horrible tragedy happen. Someone crashed into the house and, the, and one of the gentlemen in the photographs, he actually had a heart attack because the crash was so traumatic for him to see when he was trying to help them and he passed away. And then one of the sons was hit by a train the same week that his mother died. And there's an article that says this family has been plagued by the streak of bad luck. And then one of the twins in the photographs actually passed away at 10 months old. So we bring them home and I was like, all right, I'm going back to Connecticut. Like have fun with these, you know, portraits that I brought home. And he calls me within like a half hour of me leaving. And he said, I was watching TV and that closet that he has storage with those, you know, plastic tubs that you use for storage in, they're all on a shelf. Every single tub, even though the shelf was sitting there, you know, stationary and didn't fall, all the uh, all of the uh, tubs had fallen. Like the closet was essentially eviscerated and the shelf didn't fall. So it's not like the shelf fell and knocked him over. Like something pushed all these off. And I was like, okay, I'll come back. I'll see what's going on. And we started investigating and I was like, who did this in the closet? And we hear, I'm scared. And then I was like, of course they would be scared. I brought them from Georgia from their custodian that they had for 10 years. And, it, and if it's an infant spirit, probably the older twin might be attached to the portrait because he never got to truly grow with his younger twin. And that's probably the only picture of her. Right. And um, we just kind of, we bought a rattle, like an antique rattle that made sense and like pacified them. And we haven't had any experiences yet um, or since then. We haven't really interacted with them because I don't think of them as like, you know, do something for me. It's just, I keep you safe and things have been good since. But then this opened up, like, I guess the inspiration for other people to do similar things. Mm -hmm. And um, a few weeks later, I messaged a guy and I was like, hey, I'm interested in this talking board you have for sale. And he's like, it's $150. When I drive three hours to meet him, he said, I don't want any money. You can have it for free. And I was like, what's going on? You know how much this is worth. Why? He's like, it has plagued my life for 10 years. Um, it came from a home where a woman passed away. Her body was undiscovered for some time. And, um, you know, I just have had people screaming at me about it and all of these other things have happened. 
And I was like, okay. And I guess he just didn't want the exchange of one item for the other and to have that money. And so I took that into my custody. I called my friend who's a medium and I was like, Seth, I think I brought home something bad. And then we kind of, you know, worked with it and we're like, okay, it's just misunderstood. She was left. And of course she would be attached to the first object that someone saw and was like, this is amazing because nobody saw value in her when she passed away because they didn't come see her, check on her. Mm. So when they saw value in an object, that inspired her to maybe, you know, gravitate towards her her talking board. She used to communicate. That was hers. And the last one was um, shortly after, you know, I had someone reach out to me and they're like, I do have this one thing. It was an auction house and it was like a movie. He takes me to the back of the auction house and there's this clock it's got cobwebs over it. And I, it was literally like illuminated by one little spotlight. And he's like, that's the clock. Someone made it while they're in prison for their daughter. Their daughter gave it to me over 10 years ago. Nobody wants to touch it. And he was like, she left a fake number. You can have it. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, I made a mental note to bring home no more haunted objects until I felt like I truly told the stories and took care of them the right way. But it was just like this rapid, like, fire of all of these objects with true and like really wild stories wow so has the clock acted up anything yet i keep it closed so it is really unusual it is probably the thing that is most ominous in my house um it opens up and it has three shelves and it's got different disney characters and looney tunes and it was made in sing sing prison in new york and you know, I just have this feeling that if I were to open it and leave it open, something might happen, but keeping it closed and on a pedestal, just it, it's just a mutual respect that I have. And I haven't encouraged anything to happen. But the first time I brought it home, I was like, this kind of makes me feel, you know, because there, there are victims involved, yeah. you know, and I don't collect murderabilia. I don't think it's cool to glamorize those kind of things. Sometimes you're given things when people are in fear and you are helping them. They, they want to get rid of the object. shouldn't be thrown away. The story doesn't deserve to be forgotten. But at the same time, I want to make sure that I'm not platformer, platforming or elevating something like that. Right. That's good. Me too. People like to give us things. I'm just right over my head. My little doll bell, my 110-year-old was given to me by a girl who this the doll made her sick for three years made her hair fall out made her kid sick and she's like can I send it to you I'm like sure um and the doll had so much power like 50,000 people watched me open I don't have that many followers that 50,000 people watched me open it was bell mm. not me but I would not there was something so dark attached to her I mean this is my area of expertise I would not let the sun go down before I got that dark thing out and then there was a beautiful little haunted girl inside and now she's a part of the family and people see her move all the time people I have to keep her back far enough she doesn't take full focus of my guest and myself on the thing but I've had but you still have to be careful with your house because you like you would keep that one protected I had one thing that was just at first, I was okay with it, given to me by a client. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, why am I not spending time in my office? There's a reason. Like, everything else, I'm like, oh, it's that. So I actually called Zach Bagans. I said, this is too dark for me. Do you want? And of course, it, it start, I got, it's at the museum now and started acting up that first night. Because our, our homes have to be kind of sacred, especially for you and I who do this kind of work that we're right. doing. We're opening portals all the time. 
Yeah, and and that's true with the clock. It's still new. This is the past few months, and I'm still getting to know it. And there's been consideration of what truly needs to be done with it. And I've talked to a few people, and I said, for some reason, I feel like this isn't for me, especially since I had made a conscious decision to not take in any more objects for some time, but it kind of fell into my hands. And, you know, I don't know what the final result will be. We we talked about dismantling it because that girl was traumatized and wanted to be rid of her father's actions. And, you know, there are victims that her father, he, he killed people. Like, that that is who made this. And when he made this clock, I don't think he was making it for his little girl. I think it was to absolve himself of guilt. Wow. And I, for a while I said, I'm going to be silent. But then I'm like, that dismisses the fact that there are people out there that, is go, that have gone through this. So it's still a decision I need to make. It, I don't know what needs to be done if there's going to be some sort of you know, ritual involved or something that needs to keep it closed. But right now it's been quiet, but yeah. it might be waiting or doing a slow creep. You know, Maybe I've been slowly getting more tired or something and not realized it, it just hasn't caught up yet. Right. It'll drain you. Um, so before we go, let me go back to talking boards. I collect them as well. I've been using and ah. using them safely since I was seven or eight years old. So you said you have very strong opinions about them. So I personally have been a big advocate for responsible use mm-hmm. and respect of the board. I have been collecting since I came across the collection someone was letting go. It was actually a magician in Texas. And she sold me a Ouija girl, which it's a 1940s board with a girl with a crystal ball and stars. And I just feel like the history of the board has been so disrespected. It's been taken by men who fought over it. It's the, the women involved, you know, have been completely erased other than the people in the talking board historical society are working to bring these names and these stories forward and it's like i feel like we do a big disservice by just dismissing it as something that causes bad that being said i have had people send me boards that they felt like cursed their life and i don't put them on display i leave them in the box the person sent them to me because without knowing it they've done themselves a little ritual putting the tape and the label and and releasing themselves I'm like, I'm going to keep this safe safe for you. This isn't for content. This isn't social media. This is me doing something which I believe is genuinely helping these these folks. But um, yeah, I do. I don't get angry. I respect people who don't feel like it's for them or that it could harm them. Because as we know, if you're open to that leading to something negative, it, it could potentially take you down because you think that that's what's going to happen. So I say I respect your opinion, but I personally think it's a great tool. I think it's something that really resonates and connects with me. I think it's an amazing part of American history. That's one of the things that I love about it is that, you know, we we here kind of started and popularized that. And so I feel like it connects to us living in this country a little bit more than other tools that originated elsewhere. Um, so I do have a a really big collection and I do love to see the different art. I don't see it different as like kind of a bunch of tarot decks, you know, you, they have all the different art and some resonate differently on different days. So I think that's really cool that you collect them as well. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. And I have one, same thing. People have shown up at my door. I had done filming a TV something once 
And like a week or two later, a, a crew member who was just like the lighting guy, he hands me this 1920s board. Um, he's like, just take this. Okay. <laughs> but you know, that's yeah, actually fine. I, I check everything out, but um, oh, and he's showing scared and alone spirit board queen. Oh, you could have a dress with a spirit board on it. That's on mysterycontrol.com. Thank you, producer Rob. I love it. Um, spirit board, everything. Um, anyway, well, you are fascinating. I have a million more questions, but we'll just have to have you back if you will. Yes. But tell people now that they're going to be as, are, are as intrigued as I am, where they can find you, what you have coming up, your social media, website, all that kind of stuff. Sure. I can be found on TikTok and Instagram as my bloody Galentine. I typically operate on those two platforms. I've been kind of expanding. I do have a documentary coming out called Historically Haunted, the Grand Midway Hotel, in which we actually do encounter an inhuman spirit. And <laughs> sorry, car going by. And in that documentary, we kind of work through this entity that's oppressing other spirits. So that's going to be coming out within the next few months. And I also can be found at the next Strange Escapes event in Gettysburg, which will happen the weekend after Halloween. So we'll keep the spooky season rolling. Yay. Oh, that's perfect. So you guys like her, follow her. She's delightful. And thank you, Becky Ann, for bringing your magic to the witching hour. Thank you. Thank you so much, Patty.